Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Sunday Sessions, 17th of January, 2021. Well, thank you for joining me, uh, our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this to your favorite uh, sanctuary space, and today is really about your sanctuaries, and expressing your inspired visions from your sanctuary, being your poetry, writing, art, craft, performance, problem solving. Now, today's Sunday session is focusing on labyrinths and labyrinthing. And this is a little bit of an introduction what we got going. And we're going to include some history and mythology of ancient labyrinths and uh, the Crete uh, Minotaur labyrinth story. We're going to cover that a bit. There's a bit of Minotaur there. And the fascination and divinity of the origin of the labyrinth name. And I think that's lovely. There's, there you have the labyrinth. I'll talk about what a labyrinth is later on a very ancient clay pot there. Uh, so, and also I'm going to give you some introduction, of course, for doing this. I'm sorry, I'm not out in the labyrinth gardens today. I was hoping, but it is a bit damp. It is a cold. The equipment would have gone crazy. It would have been lovely to be out in the labyrinth gardens. But I'm going to give you some introduction anyway. Uh, a lot of you viewing this have been here and have used the labyrinth gardens, and there's the... Uh, the kind of business card, the little flyer that goes round about this. And uh, maybe sometime uh, we're going to talk about storytelling, mindfulness, mental health therapy. All these things are happening within today's labyrinth. And uh, hopefully we're going to have some panel time with a couple of questions put to our guests um, about the morality of placing labyrinths upon our landscapes. Because one of the things that hit me when I put the tree labyrinth down here was, goodness, who am I to put this geometric structure down on this sort of natural land? And certainly people were asking me that question, especially that we are the archetype people. You know, what's this got to do with nature? You put your own ego in there with a circle. So we're going to discuss this. And I was relieved because once the tree labyrinth was established, yes, it was a geometric of circles but um first thing that happened some cows in the next field came in and you would think the cows would rush through the labyrinth but no they walked around the labyrinth they walked around the circle so i just had to fill in some footprints and i saw a couple of rabbits a couple of hares and they were hopping around and so they were using it and there's something that's actually burrowed uh, into the into uh, the side in, under one of the trees so nature has adapted to it and it's amazing. There's all the different fungi. There's all the different birds. There's flowers. There's a lot of species of a lot of things that have come to the tree labyrinth that just wouldn't have been there if I hadn't put it there. So I'm going to put this question a bit later on. And I'm going to close with a beautiful labyrinth walking video. As I'll, I'll leave that to later. I'll talk about that a bit later on. Anyway, we've got wonderful guests uh, on this session. There's uh, Tony Christie. Uh, he's a uh, founder of Labyrinths in Ireland. I'm going to have to ask him if that's still going as such. And the lovely Lisa Gidlow Mariati, uh, Labyrinth designer and creator at Paths of Peace. 
And then I'm going to finish off with a beautiful video, as I say, by uh, Carol Eagleberg. So it's, uh, let's uh, kind of get on with the show a bit here, uh, see who's with us and say hello to you. Uh, it's Kimberly. We've got all the regulars here. Good morning from Boston. Thank you for being with us, Kimberly. And the ever-regular uh, Sherry Murphy, good morning to you from Maine. And Donna, uh, thank you for getting that video to me. And pictures will be featuring the labyrinths uh, later on. Claire's out there actually in the uh, tree labyrinth and watching as she's pruning away there and tidying it up. And uh, good morning, uh, J. Riley Mason. And uh, good morning from Winnipeg, uh, Brittany. Lovely to see you. And Big Bear's back. Hi there. Good to see you again. Uh, he's come here through the meetup. So fabulous. I'm great. Uh, lovely to see you here. Fabulous. Uh, okay. Let's uh, move along with this. Um, history. I'm going to start with a bit of history of the ancient labyrinth. Because uh, all around the world, there's ancient art and relics of spirals that were relate to them today we call them labyrinths and there's a, a wonderful i'm not sure where that's from maybe a panel can say but that's a few thousand years old there we are there's some people approaching a labyrinth there uh fabulous stuff and uh we wonder why they're there what are they telling us and how did the ancient people actually use these uh labyrinths and there's a huge fascination uh for me in considering how the ancient imagination and motivation was there to craft these spirals. And uh, because when we build or use a labyrinth today, somewhere in this process is the application of using measurements and geometry. And I often ask how and why we humans have developed these geometry crafts and skills when no other uh, animals uh, have done. And here we have Tony here. Is with the uh, very ancient uh, Glendalock uh, labyrinth. Uh, Gl the Glendalock's actually got an outdoor labyrinth trying to duplicate this thing. And even Lara up the road by the church there has got a lovely one. It's a hedge one that they've got. So why are we using this geometry when no other animals have done so? Question I ask. Uh, the whole invention of calibration is a question that I constantly live with. And I don't really seek a calibrated answer to that question, but it's one of those questions I love bathing in the wonder of it all. And, uh, of course, people make these things with their fingers. So I kind of ask, what did it start up with? Was it uh, someone lining up three sticks? I haven't got three sticks, but can you imagine lining up with three sticks and discovering the two spaces between those two sticks can be made to be exact. Is that where it all started from? And then taking that experiment a bit further and creating, <laughs> sorry, creating the craft of geology and then, uh, not geology, geometry. And from geometry, trying to work out puzzles and problem solving, we may move on to a bit of algebra formula, don't we? And then we have these calibrations of distance and time. And I think for humans forget that we actually invented distance and time because we learned the craft of calibration but the way we focus on this and we get into science i think we get very linear and uh, 
So the humans, by being linear, have created concepts of beginnings and ends, starts and finishes. And then if we look into a tree and see all those natural spirals unwinding from its birth and to its present, you know, look, at, look inside a, a yew tree, I, which I think is fascinating because it's a regenerating tree. It's always rebirthing itself uh, from the center. Was that an, an inspiration? Luckily, this understanding along with uh, the human craft of mathematics it enables us to create the understanding of cycles of planets. We've understood the cycle of solar systems, galaxies, constellations, and we've translated this down into being able to use it in navigation. Ancients looked at the skies and through the measurements could navigate on water and, and that brought about a lot of human migration, uh, which became very profound as we know. Now last week during the divination session, a Sunday session, I focused a lot on water and using water as our divination medium. And I spoke of dropping stones and skimming stones on water. I'll bring back one of the pictures here. There you go. Uh, and we'll I think what we're getting to, you can see that it's pretty obvious. And when we drop stones onto water, it's the one action of nature that seems to create instant images of spirals. And uh, so is it, was this an inspiration for labyrinths? I wonder, were the first humans the labyrinth created inspired by these uh, water spirals? Uh, because they increase rapidly, don't they? As we watch the spirals, look at that, there's a section, they just get bigger and bigger and circle around. And, and I we get when we throw stones in the water, we get enchanted by that, don't we? So there's that enchantment. And maybe we want to recreate that enchantment. And did we hurt? So, did we humans first create labyrinths to secure some kind of water enchantment, some kind of experience on the land? There's an ancient labyrinth. I wonder if that's it's by the sea. Is that what happened there? Um, beautiful one there. I don't know where it is actually, unfortunately. One of you might be able to advise me in the comments. Uh, where is that labyrinth by the sea? Absolutely uh, beautiful there. Anyway, some traditions, they, uh, they seem to present clues of this, um, as local traditions remain where water, cider, ale, blood, and even milk, they're poured along uh, spirals. This is something I came across a lot in Scotland. And this happens, it's this kind of ceremony at Imbolc and so on. It's the time of these kind of uh, traditions. So I've got some pictures here of uh, pouring milk on Bridges Day. It's still performed in some parts of Scotland, uh, but it's dying out. And this is, uh, this is kind of, in Ireland, uh, breasts, uh, we, uh, Bridges Day, we bless Bridget. We uh, have reverence for Bridget. Some of us will have reverence for the fairy world, the she. Uh, in Scotland, there's a Krueger, uh, Krieger different pronunciations, different place, is a kind of a, a fairy person who doesn't have bones, <laughs> but provides a la spirit to the land. And this one here is where the milk was poured on the stone. This is actually way out in St Kilda, uh, 
was been left there and was obviously a, a long-term tradition of the St Kilda people. And uh, here's another one here. That's on Colonsay, little tiny in the Hebrides Island. It's the remains of one where milk was poured. But uh, it's not all Scotland. Um, I talked about blood being poured from the animal slaughter. Uh, and this is an Irish thing in Sawan feast times, such as in the Maxleck area, which is now West Cavern and North uh, Leitrim. So I've got a couple of pictures of Kilrug and Stone here, which is apparently what that was uh, used for. And you can actually see the spirals there, sort of labyrinthy. I think this is a bit more close up. Even looks like bird's heads, doesn't it? So uh, how the blood went from the top, I don't know. I haven't quite worked it out. But today there is a huge a reverence for this. And when we talk of labyrinth, we got, I've got a triple spiral labyrinth here, and Tony is uh, a fan of these. And uh, so there's quite a lot of reverence for the feminine triple spiral, uh, such as this, and representing the breasts and the womb. And this is not a physical reference, but uh, I think the flowing, all of this is the flowing of liquids. Liquids of milk in those stones and the amniotic womb water that flows internally, which in a way I think is, even in the womb, it's sort of like the flow of a pebble dropped on water. That's the way I see it. because women would understand it a lot more than me. So was the origin of labyrinths to add reverence to the flow of life through water, that's uh, the other thing. People go to uh, sacred wells, holy wells, we cover that on other Sunday sessions. Or was there an enchantment division that was a motivation to build labyrinths? So was it a bit of both or was it more? We're going to check that with the panel later. Let's see what you're saying about this so far on this. Um, there's Donna. The labyrinth by the sea is the edge of San Francisco. Thank you, Donna. Well done. Uh, why did we get there? I think I know where it is. We didn't quite get there. Oh. Uh, Shell, good morning to you. And uh, yes, that is certainly true uh, these days, uh, uh, Donna, as far as bringing people. It's strange that it needs a labyrinth to do that. And I find that is uh, very much true here that uh, I used to do Bards in the Woods on Sundays to get people, more people into the woods, share their poems, and uh, other way, get more people into the woods. I started this during the time that the island tried to sell off the public woodlands in 2012. But we didn't get many people. The people that came tended to be Eastern Europeans. Didn't really get Irish people on that very much. But then after a while, I can't remember the reason why, we changed to the Sunday sessions using the labyrinths. And we got a lot more people come here than we did into the woods. And people regard this more as getting into nature. It's a fascinating thought that it's as if people need or they feel secure in having a labyrinth as a gateway, as their own entry into the fey world, she world of nature. And I remember uh, a lad that I went hiking with, and he enjoyed himself. But he got really excited when we were going through a valley, and he saw a phone box. And suddenly, he felt a security in the fact that there was a human phone box in the valley. Suddenly, nature all around him was wonderful, just because that phone box was there. He enjoyed himself more. So that makes me think about how people 
may look at uh, one of the things that people may look at uh, labyrinths with. Anyway, uh, on to something else now. Minotaur. A lot of people, when they think of uh, labyrinths, they think of the Minotaur. Uh, let's get this comment down. Thanks for the comments. Uh, right, let's get used to the buttons again. And uh, right, back on it. I'm going to continue with the ancient origins of labyrinths shortly, a bit more. But let's look at today's labyrinth word. But I'll come back to that. I'm going to look at the, some labyrinth story symbolism. And if we talk about the Minotaur, I think we're talking about something that's a little bit well known. Let's get to my picture gallery uh, onto this. So uh, what lies within the story of the Minotaur and his labyrinth in Greece? Uh, goodness me, sorry, that's the wrong Minotaur. Uh, that one. And uh, let's look at the symbolism of the people in the Minotaur story. The symbolism of items in that story and the structure of the Minotaur's labyrinth itself. Uh, the labyrinth gardens here, many people ask me about the difference between a maze and a labyrinth. And there's an almost template answer of, well, in a maze, people get lost. But in a labyrinth, it's really just a single path where lost people find their way. Have you heard that one? Anyway, in the Minotaur story, it's told that the labyrinth was made complex by an architect called Daedalus, a labyrinth builder who was commissioned by the King Minos of Crete. And uh, his job was to make it impossible for the Minotaur to find a way out. Now, to me, this seems like building a complex that's a maze rather than a labyrinth. As a single path, you'd think the person would easily find their way out. But I've had people in the single path labyrinths here. They get so involved in the trees and the plants, and they're going up, down, up, down the labyrinth. Help, I can't find my way out. And I say, go one way. It's a single path. You, I guarantee you'll find your way out. So people do get into the enchantment and even get lost in their surroundings on a single track labyrinth. Anyway, the most ancient images of ancient labyrinths Labyrinth of Gnosis present the labyrinth as a single path that's spiraling. Though uh, some present a structure that starts with a single path labyrinth and then it breaks up into multiple choice maze. I haven't got any of those pictures. I did have, but uh, somehow I've lost them. So sorry, I'll show you something else. I've got something else here that uh, is sort of an ancient depiction. This is an ancient uh, art and impression of the uh, Minotaur's labyrinth. And then it even came out in early coins uh, in a sort of uh, square shape there. But uh, another thing to consider is the labyrinths were built by people to contain what they believed as being evil influences. That was another purpose for building uh, labyrinths, is to keep the evil influences in there so they would not escape and curse the people living around them. And I've even, uh, we'll come back to this uh, picture, you say San Francisco, and I've heard of fishermen actually building labyrinths on the shore and on beaches as a way of containing the wind and to protect the fishing boats uh, from the storms. Uh, I don't think the exact location of the Minotaur's labyrinth has actually been established in Knossos. Of course, they say with certain relics, oh, this is the labyrinth, but some say it's a built network within or by the king's palace. Some say it's a natural web of underworld passengers at Gortin or somewhere else in Crete. But hang on, if you think about it, the Minotaur is a myth story. 
isn't it? So how could there actually be a location to a myth story? I believe, like we do in Ireland, we actually sometimes apply the story to a location. And maybe there's two or more locations where the story is applied. So little other Minotaur story, the sea god Poseidon, he gave a beautiful white bull to King Minos, and this was to confirming, confirm him as a king. As long as Minos sacrificed that bull in Poseidon's honor, but Minos thought this white bull was so beautiful, too beautiful to kill as a sacrifice, so he sneaked in another bull and sacrificed that instead, and it was a less attractive bull. But Poseidon, you couldn't get past him. He got angry because that's what sea gods do. They get angry. And so he, Poseidon enchanted this beautiful white bull to mate with Pasiphae, uh, the wife of Minos. There's all sorts of illustrations of this. I'll give you a quick flash of one there before I get banned from everywhere. And uh, Daedalus architect the labyrinth, so the Minotaur, as I say, was locked in. And now the stage was set. And seven youths and seven maidens each year from Athens fed to the Minotaur. Meanwhile, in comes uh, Theseus, uh, son of Aegis, uh, king of Athens. And he'd been conquered by Minos anyway, who took over as king. And Theseus's goal was to kill the Minotaur to prevent more girls and boys being sacrificed. And there he is, and the Minotaur seeing him coming. And his plan was to pose as one of the youths again to the labyrinth. But on arrival to Crete, he instantly fell in love with Adriani, Ariadne. And Theseus was spotted wooing with her as he came ashore. Uh, so when he was spotted, he was flung in jail. And Ariadne then appeared in the night and she had three gifts. There was the key to get out of the jail. There was a ball of gold thread to mark the path so it could be followed back out, and a sacred sword that she had made and forged herself. And I'll mention the symbolism of these three shortly. But Theseus got out of jail, he entered into the labyrinth, found the Minotaur, killed it, found his way back out, and he got out of the labyrinth unharmed. But however, what happened between Theseus and Ariadne after them was not what she expected, but that's another story away from what we've talking about today. So let me dissect the story, the characters of the story so far. You've got the Minotaur, a monster, and monsters often regarded as guardians of treasure and not to be killed. Uh, they have to be killed to get access to that treasure. And rather than think of this as conquering and acquiring new wealth, I think of this more so as banishing our fears so that our inspirations and our creative visions they can shine us through because often we cloud fears that stop us. You know, we think our little voice is not worth anything. But if we conquer that and we kill the minotaur in ourselves, it's amazing what we can achieve. So living creatively could be viewed on Earth as consuming, you know, if we if it, we took treasure and use it, that's consuming. But I believe to be in the motion of natural cycling on Earth, the ebb and flow of the creativity, that we have and the decomposing of what we create and trying to keep that all in balance. That, I feel, is where the prize is. So our own story of conquering our own inner minotaur can be, it can feel like an initiation, can't it? And we have to go through some kind of initiation 
before we have that ability to conquer and let our inspiration and creativity flow. So Aria Adni is an incredible important symbolism here because as in many Greek stories, it's the woman who helps the hero, man, achieve his conquest. Again, another example that beside every successful man's good woman. I bring that up, often, don't I? So we'll go to the key. This isn't the actual key. It's the best I could come up with as an ancient key. And so there we have Sisters had this to unlock the door, escape his confinement, escape his institution, and commence the hero's journey. And then we go on to the gold thread here. Uh, there's he's holding the gold thread, and, and uh, it's almost like an umbilical cord, I feel, ensures the return to safety. It's also, you know, when we plan our workflow, when we problem solve, we create a thread, even in discussions with people, a thread forms, doesn't it, of decision. And we look to that thread as a way of backtracking uh, as our part of our problem solving. So there we have that thread as umbilical cord and as a means of backtracking. So there we have uh, the thread. And the sword, once a traditional dowry, there's an old ancient bronze sword that women used to make, and uh, they would choose their mate for serving their protection. Uh, but also the sword was symbolism of maintaining the fire of their mate's passion, their bravery, and even their fertility. So there we have, he's going off with the three um, three gifts there. And there's many places on all continents, including the Americas, uh, that are both natural cave passages, human built structures, and labyrinth stories like this have been applied to them. Um, anyway, I'm not gonna go into those stories. I just hope you uh, enjoyed the sort of rush through the Minotaur, because I think it's a foundation to what we think of, know, and kind of get an image on uh, a labyrinth. So let's, uh, let's uh, catch up with your comments because we need to get on to our lovely guest. Uh, hi from Massachusetts, from Susanna. Uh, right, uh, right, I think we've caught up with you. So I can move on, here we go. Uh, now, the origin of the labyrinth word, that's something that fascinates me a lot. Labyrinth inthos. Let's go to this picture here to give you a little bit. There's the minotaur head. Look at that above him. The double-edged sword. Uh, axe, I mean. It's a double-edged axe. And the labyrinth inthos, meaning the place of the labyrinth. And as I understand this, this comes from Minoan mythology. And the labyrinth is a double-edged axe. And it was a symbolic tool of the queen or woman in a revered position in the community. And when she held this, as the blades had a long staff, she held this amongst her community and called upon the people to pay attention. As she was about to become a medium, a conduit, to pass on a message, a vision passing through her, through the earth goddess, of someone feminine of reverence within the earth to pass on to a people. Now this double-edged sword, double-edged, uh, not sword, uh, axe, is said to often be dark one side and shiny light on the other. You get a little bit of that impression on that imagery there. And the principles of dark to light are often suggested for a journey on a labyrinth walk. 
Now, the design of the tree labyrinth here, I'll bring you, I'll start showing off what we got here. And this is 13 years ago. Um, in the early days, I just planted 200 trees there. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, the, <coughs> sorry about my throat today. But you see, there we have, it's a labyrinth. I was dreaming about this for several nights, so I did it. And you can see the shaft in the middle, and you can see the, the blady bits on the outside. And uh, so that's... Uh, a bits of the labyrinthos coming to shape and that's it a few years ago the trees have grown up a bit in it and uh and this here is a beadmore i find this is interesting you go to beadmore in county tyrone and you've got this field of these arrangements and look at that you've got the figure of eight you've got the shaft and you in the middle here was a, a hold stone by mythology and there's a few of those and I'm wondering if this is linked to the Labyrinthos, and uh, it just seems the coincidence is amazing because there is uh, stories there that there was mating going on. Males would be one side, females the other, and if they got each other's eye, then they would go through a mating ceremony in the hold stone in the middle. And but there, there is also a dark to light story in there as well. And the museums in Crete, uh, if I can come up with that. Um, Oh, here's another one, be more close up. There you can go. That's the start of a passage. Now, this is, I can't remember the museum, but this is in Crete. Just shows you the, the size. These are ancient labyrinths that are there. And, uh, and well, I think that's as much as I say. If you get the gist of that, the labyrinthos, place of the labyrinth. That's as much as I think I, I'm going to talk about. So, uh, Tony Christie, founder, founder of Labyrinths in Ireland. Uh, sorry, I need a, I'm going to see if I can get a, a nice background on this for you. I should uh, get, let's see. It has a manual for making a triple spiral labyrinth. And we've got one here. And I didn't know about that when we made the triple spiral here in the labyrinth garden. So I'll show you a, a picture or two of that a bit later on. And, oh, he's got a lovely set of labyrinth wisdom cards. Give me a second. I'm going to get a, the packet. I should have had them lined up. Right, uh, 
Sorry for the pause there. There they are. Let's get the Labyrinth Wisdom cards. Tony Christie. Let's open the box. It's absolutely beautiful. He's got a, a booklet here. Beautiful book. Look at that. It's a proper paperback. He's put a lot of care into this. And, uh, and then you get these beautiful cards. As you can see, uh, I should have had more graphics on there, but uh, it's a beautiful thing, and we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. So there's a quick flash of the flashcards of Tony. So, <laughs> without further ado, let's say hello to Tony Christie. There he is. Hello, Tony. Let's get back hello, hello, John. Hello, everyone. And uh, we were getting him loud and clear, uh, so... Good afternoon, and it's lovely to have you aboard, Tony. Thanks. Good to be here, John. Yep. Right. I'm going to knock out something here. and uh, <laughs> Not me, I uh, hope. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the one thing, uh, the question, the, the labyrinth, the Irish labyrinth locator, is that still around? I was trying to find that on the internet. Have you taken that um, down? No, there was a, a bit of a mishap with that. My um, email provider started charging, and um, I missed the renewal email, so that website, that website, died unfortunately maybe it was time so i have um a facebook page labyrinths in ireland and i have my own website where i'd be putting up more information about irish labyrinths so um oh that's great and in a moment i'll put your website i've got that geared in somewhere but uh, tell us a bit about the work you're doing uh, in present because is you've taken labyrinths so when i uh, met you uh, it was all about labyrinths and it seems as You've gone something like what I do. I, I haven't built labyrinths myself because I want labyrinths. I have labyrinth gardens here as tools. I wouldn't regard myself so much as a labyrinth guard, uh, builder, even though we have a garden of labyrinths. Hmm. I find they're absolutely wonderful tools, uh, as, and we could use various other tools just to help people on a path of trust and uh, to help deal with that as I was saying earlier, how people keep their feelings enclosed. As an inspiration, is a sanctuary where they can just flow and express the voice that needs to be shared. So tell me a bit about how you approach with your labyrinth, what you do. So yeah, at the moment, well, I have, I mean, I have built and designed labyrinths and obviously painted them and written about them. But mainly I see them as being... Um, a resource for people they not only help quieten the mind but they help you access your own inner wisdom due to the mind quietening like when the mind quietens your awareness becomes heightened and when your awareness is heightened well then you're more open to receiving insights and guidance that may be there for you that when the mind is busy you're, you're not able to and and the labyrinth is one of the best tools that i have found for quietening the mind now i've also found that the labyrinth and particularly the more ancient one the seventh circuit classical one has a lot of healing um, energies in it. So I tend to use it now in one-to-one -one sessions and even group sessions with people, um, helping them heal. Um, I, I can, each point of the labyrinth has a significance and a meaning. And depending on where you are in the labyrinth, and many people will have a sensation they need to stop or slow down or just stand in the energy of that point or that space for a few moments or a bit longer. And even those people who who don't or aren't fully tuned into themselves to have that awareness, I can uh, work with them and I can identify them where they need to stop. Not only in a walking labyrinth, but also in a small finger labyrinth, such as uh, 
this one here, you know, something like that, you know. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So if you trace your finger with that and people, sometimes I use a divining rod and it'll tune into the people's energy and tell them they need to stop at that point and I'll explain to them what that point is about. And sometimes it's for a second or two and sometimes it's for a few minutes because there's energy, the healing energy coming through the labyrinth that is uh, specifically for that person at that time. So... So people who walk labyrinths regularly would be aware of this, that they, they feel, oh, I need to stop here and just wait here for a short, a few moments. So it's not about getting to the center. It's about your journey in life, but it's about you because every part of the labyrinth you is some aspect of you and some aspect of your life. Yes, it's, uh, that uh, that you were saying is, is not trying to get to the destination it's the idea of pausing. I'm going to be closing this uh, session with a lovely uh, video. Uh, and I was saying that if Donna Johnson sent it to me on behalf of a friend. And uh, from what I was seeing, uh, she is uh, a fan of your cards. <laughs> there you oh, go. lovely. She's, yeah. she's there in New Mexico. So I'm going to be, right. there's a lovely video that features that very point uh, of pausing. Yeah. The people, uh, one thing at the moment, with uh, our, I suppose, semi-isolation, the fact that we're, we can't go very far, uh, distancing and not mixing with others. The mental therapy side of having a sanctuary is priceless. It's one of the things I sort of kick myself about because I know myself not feeling any depression or loneliness and all the things people must be going through through this COVID time. Have you been working with that, with the labyrinth, with people who might be in a kind of distress, where's this going situation? Yeah, Yes, with some people I have, yeah. Um, I think the, the current situation, I see it, the, the whole lockdown or the whole confinement that some people might be um, not too happy about is actually an opportunity for spending time with yourself. And, and But to do that... The more tools you have to help you in that, the better. So a labyrinth is one of the best tools because, it, you know, you can have one in your garden or you can just have a finger one on the table with you, you know. But it, because it helps quite in the mind, it'll help you sort of, it helps people s s see them through or see what, what it might be that is agitating them about the, the current situation. You know, if you can't do anything about it, well, then, you know, there's you either you find some way of allowing it to be, you know, so... Um, so in the current climate, you know, there are many people who are finding it quite difficult mentally and emotionally even to be tied down and not in contact with people. And they've been quite busy. And suddenly they're in a situation where it's almost as, as if nothing has happened. So it, it is a time for becoming to know yourself better. Um, Aye, the, uh, the, labyrinth, the labyrinth is one of the best tools I find for that. It, it just opens up. It helps you heal, you know, some of these um pains or whatever that you might be carrying you know so yeah it's an interesting one for me as i say the um i've gone from the bars in the woods and encouraging people out the woods so to me the the labyrinth was like in a way a, a kind of a, a second choice and the one thing that's put to me and it's one of the things i've been as nervous with as you know putting a geometric shape into the landscape is the idea of ritual and uh, I notice a lot of people with labyrinths, they, it's, it's almost as if you're going to church. There's a set of orders, a set of ritual. And my own impression is I want people, 
this is why I've got trees, why I've got herbs. And it's almost as if the labyrinth is secondary to all this. It's a way to get people in with the trees. And my set is forget about having a set of rules. It's about being in a sanctuary where you have a moment where nobody is telling you what to do and you let your voice come out. But some people need that structure to get in. So what's your feeling about the idea of ritual and ceremony within the labyrinth as against total inspiration? There's a question for you. <laughs> I think there's a time and a place for both, John, you know, and just in the context in you mentioned about putting the labyrinth on a space and, and, you know, the, I, always before I create a labyrinth, I will tune into and ask the people if I'm working with them to tune into the energy of the space or the, the spirit of the area or the genus loci, because some places, you know, and some energies will want a labyrinth and be enhanced by the labyrinth and some areas it's just not particularly right at that time. So it's important to be not just to force a labyrinth where you feel it needs to go, but to listen you know, so to take time in the space and listen to the energies of the spirit of that place that's there. So as regards ritual, and um, I, I do both really, you know, so in some of my workshops, I would have very focused approach and a very um, prescribed way of working with the labyrinth, depending on what I'm trying to get the people to access. But I'm also a very strong um, advocate of here's the labyrinth, <laughs> experience it, without any preconditions or without any predetermined ideas of what it should be because the labyrinth, the more I learn and know about the labyrinth, the more I realize how little I know about it. So I see it as it can be all things to all people and there is not just one correct way of using it. In fact, there are as many ways as there are people. Well, thanks uh, for that. We got, thanks for, uh, I, these sessions are always too, Short when I have guests. But I, I want to see if we can get Lisa on. I know there was a signal thing. And it'd be lovely if you could come back with Lisa. I got a couple of panel questions, so have you as a panel. So thank you for, uh, for now. And we're going to bring You're you welcome. back. And uh, there's your uh, uh, oh, there's website. Yeah, that's my website, yeah. People can contact me through that. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of stuff there, folks. Go and have a look. Tony has got a huge collection of useful tools. So thanks, and we'll have you back later. Thanks, Tony. Oh, fabulous. And uh, I'll just move on for a few seconds and we'll, we'll have Lisa on as a guest. Uh, so you've got uh, Tony's there. I talked about the labyrinthos. That's what I was talking about. Labyrinthos uh, became the uh, labyrinth. So uh, on to a little bit, bit more with the gallery here and uh, catch up where we were because labyrinths and uh, maze romanticism seems to have become strongly established through medieval times. And um, we'll get these out. And there's the uh, the pavement labyrinths. Uh, they tend to be inside. I think probably the most famous one uh, for that, uh, well, the cathedrals, uh, some of them in cathedrals. We've got the Chatteris one is perhaps the most famous. Here's an old um, picture of it, which I think is lovely. I don't know where that came from, but I love that old uh, print of that one. And there is the uh, lighted up version, which not the greatest photo, but it gives an idea. And, and lighted labyrinths is a wonderful experience. We try and do that. It's the one here with the uh, light up the tree uh, labyrinth garden here. But there seems to be a common theory that um, in the churches, uh, medieval times and put inside the cathedrals, that these were actually accepted by the Christian church 
for the purpose of pilgrimage, uh, for people who were unable to actually travel to the Middle East and other pilgrimage locations. So they could actually walk in a pilgrimage uh, fashion. I don't know if there was any penance involved with this. Uh, maybe not in medieval, early medieval times. There wasn't really much in the way of penance. That came later. Uh, well, that's another story. And another um, thing that I've come across, and I couldn't find any pictures, is that some labyrinths were created for dance, such as maypole dance type of things. Uh, these cathedral labyrinths may have been the inspiration also. Uh, do I have any pictures? No, I don't. Of those Elizabethan hedge mazes that you get on things like Blackadder. <laughs> uh, with these, it seems, um, when they became mazes, it's as if the pilgrimage had suddenly been replaced by challenge. As I'm saying, you go into a maze and you get lost and you've got to find your way out whereas a lost person goes into the labyrinth and finds their way. But there are labyrinths inside buildings and labyrinths outside on the land. And Donna Johnson uh, kindly sent me some photos last thing last night, and they're so beautiful, I had to put them in. And uh, these, this is a lovely uh, collection of labyrinths, and this is out in the desert, because here is trees, herbs, there's lots of lush growing, they're here in the desert. There we go. Donna was saying her husband and her built this big one out in the desert there in New Mexico. It was all part of a church project for her church. And then they got a smaller one here. And the video I'm going to be showing you later is actually people in this one, which is absolutely fabulous. And then she's got one at home. And look at that. They built this beautiful one at home, uh, which is a couple of uh, trees there. And New Mexico recently got a bit of snow, and there we are. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a cat that was featured a few weeks ago, wondering what that snow is all about. Hey, um, come on, I shut you off. I have I. Oh, I thought I cut you off there. Oh, thank goodness for that. Pressed the wrong button. I was on another channel. So the outside uh, labyrinths are often of stone. Notice that, you know, there's a lot of stone there because, well, it's a desert after all. And uh, others, uh, they have stone paths. And with others, like we got here in the labyrinth gardens, there the paths are between living plants, such as hedges, flowers, trees, or sometimes just cut grass in a meadow. It makes a lovely labyrinth. So here in the labyrinth gardens, we have various living labyrinths. And I'm not going to spend much time presenting on these because I want to get Lisa on. But there are stones in these labyrinths, but they're just there until the plants spread and take over. And then I move the stones and put them into another job. So here we go. Uh, here is here's the tree labyrinth. Uh, come, come on up. Whoa, we've got a bit of a signal problem. There we go. That's it. I've shown you that. That was uh, 13 years ago. And uh, the labyrinth of shape, which I've uh, mentioned before. I have to excuse me. I got a, uh, the signal is coming through in a spits and spats. And around about that time when it's planting, there's Claire who's outside right now. She's kind of doing a bit of planting or weeding or something. There, that is in very much in its old days. But nowadays, this is not long ago. This is what it's growing into. So you're really walking through a woodland. And it functions very much as a woodland these days, uh, which is beautiful uh, in the way it's done. Here's uh, 
here's another one within it, and here's people uh, walking around it. Uh, altogether, it's about 400 meters, the whole uh, walk, so it's quite a sizable walk. And that's a familiar picture. That's the uh, live willow can in the center, and we have a water feature, there's a, a fire feature, there's apples. I send people around with an apple. I won't explain that this time, but I find the apple is a lovely symbolism uh, that we can go through going from your sort of dark and suppressed side and, and then opening out and going through the three steps, which I kind of like. The first one, almost the penance in a way, is looking at your shadow uh, and, uh, you know, what is it that's holding you back? What is it that's your fears? What is it that's holding back on your trust? And then when you come back, the second part, uh, the illumination, that suddenly you've trusted your surroundings, you're in there with nature, and suddenly with the uh, your illuminations, you've got these pictures, and the story is starting to unfold from your mind. It can be related to your life. It could be like a dream. It could be as if your invisible friend has appeared, and... Uh, and uh, or your guardian angel, oh, this is almost a session in itself. And so you go off walking for the third part of the labyrinth, unfold yourself out of it, and following the story, to me, that's a prophecy of your present. And there it is, just like Einstein uh, understood relativity by visions that suddenly came to him. I mentioned last week that the invention of the recognition of DNA came from a vision of two serpents or on a spiral staircase. These are the sort of things I think uh, people have told me about when they've gone around uh, the labyrinth. Uh, so that's the tree labyrinth. There's the, spiral, the triple spiral labyrinth. Um, that's, uh, and when that was taken, you don't see all the circles on that, <coughs> on that aerial. Some of them are covered over with weeds and moss. It's a bit more defined now. And this is more what it looks like down. It's a lavender one. It's become lavender. That looks very weedy. It's still being cleared up. But people are having a lot of fun uh, with this one. And I've got a fire dance garden, a soft fruit serpent labyrinth. I'm not going to show pics of those. Um, and then we have the herb spiral labyrinth, um, um, which is uh, this one here. And... Uh, And before I introduce you to the designer, there's actually a designer to this labyrinth. It's called the Dancing Lady Labyrinth. Um, let's uh, catch up on your comments for a moment. Uh, Patricia, lovely to see you there, Vancouver Island. Lovely inspiration. And Cottonwood Trees asked me to include them in the labyrinth, so I've created around them. Beautiful, Don. I love, I'm glad we got the photos in time. And uh, Claire Roach enjoying this. Great. So this is uh, fabulous. And when I decided to create the Herb Spiral Labyrinth, I had two motivations. Uh, there was, uh, I wanted a herb garden. There's a Cretan one. And um, because I'm showing that one with Tony and the Cretan one, because the other motivation as well as a herb garden is I wanted a Cretan labyrinth because people were wanting a classical Cretan labyrinth. And so, okay, there's a space. 
we can put one. I want a herb garden. We haven't got much space left. Let's put the two together. And so out of nowhere, unintended, I saw this photo. And there we have a canvas of the dancing lady labyrinth. So I then looked at the pond that we have beside this Cretan labyrinth that I was building up. And this is just mud and stones at the time. And you can see the pond there to the right. Uh, let's see if I can get this. might be a bit better. Uh, that's taken from the pond. I'm looking down it. And uh, if I can get back to where I was. Um, look at that in, in relation. Imagine you were the other end of this. Uh, imagine the head of the dancing ladies, the pond, and then go to here. And perhaps if I give you the aerial again, you get a sense of what we got here. There we go. There's a pond. It's actually got weed in it on there. And there, if you look closely, you can actually see the dancing lady in that. And uh, there's the head of the dancing lady as the pond. So a few years later, I saw visitors standing uh, by the pond here and staring through the labyrinth, maybe a bit like this when it was with the herbs. Sorry, I haven't got any photos of that time. So I went up to her and said, this is the dancing lady labyrinth. And she replied, I know, I designed it. Because when I saw that canvas, it had no name beside it. So for me, it's now a very exciting honor to introduce our second guest. There she is at work in the labyrinth. She's a labyrinth builder, a labyrinth designer, labyrinth maker, a, la a spiritual director, and founder of Paths of Peace and obviously the dancing lady designer. Here we have, and we're gonna try and bring her up. She's got a nice big smile waiting to come. Uh, Lisa Moriarty. Let's see how, how we're doing for, I'll get my headphones. I hope we got a, a signal. We were, I know we were having a bit of struggle. But to actually see the face of the labyrinth, if we get that, that's that's kind of exciting in itself. So, so good morning to you, Lisa. You had to get up early for us. How are you doing? Uh, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Can you hear me all right? Yes, yeah, a lot better than when we tried earlier, which is uh, okay. fabulous. Okay, great. Great. What fun. Yeah. I, I remember with great delight when we showed up at your house a couple of years ago and uh, asked you to show us around your, your labyrinth and your property and and it was a rather spontaneous visit, but uh, quite lovely. And then to revisit it today with your photographs and all brings back great memories. So thank you for inviting me here. Uh, now with yourself, uh, it, uh, maybe I've got this wrong, but it seems a lot of your work is actually making uh, canvases for indoor labyrinths. Am I correct? Well, that's a good part of my work. I do the canvas portable labyrinths. And, yeah. But I also do in, indoor and outdoor permanent installations as well. So I've had my, my property here in Minnesota is um, kind of a canvas for me. So I like to try out new materials and, and designs. And I have had up to 15 labyrinths at a time just on my own property. But I've made hundreds of labyrinths throughout the 20 years that I've been doing this work. That's uh, definitely an enthusiasm. Uh, there we go. We'll get uh, the, the name up there. Um, 
uh, for and you. I, uh, I, need to mention, I need to mention, John, the Paths of Peace um, website is being reconstructed right now. So it, it's very old and, and you can see much more of my work on my Paths of Peace Facebook page. All right. That's good to know. Uh, because the one thing with the Paths of Peace, is, it does seem to give contact to you at least. But uh, in a lot of cases, as you say, the Facebook page is where it's more up to date. I'm the same. I'm hopeless at updating websites. It is, it's, <laughs> has to be on the Facebook page and announcements on Facebook, Twitter, any updates. And I got lazy with websites. I think a lot of us are. Uh, and I, I tend to wonder how many people actually visit websites these days. That's the other thing. But with you, uh, the interest is, is the focus, you make the indoor labyrinths. And the one thing with myself, I focus on the outdoor. You mentioned you put a lot outdoors because we have the space. But it's the application of people indoors, uh, which I find a bit of a mystery. It's, I mentioned the cathedrals and the idea of pilgrimage in cathedrals. That makes some sense. But it's like with yoga. Uh, I often have discussions with yoga people why are they in a controlled environment? Why, why don't they dare to be with the elements outside and do their yoga? And I tend to feel that with the labyrinths is uh, inside you can control your conditions. Uh, but if you're in obviously Minnesota in the middle of the winter, there's nothing you'd like better than to try a labyrinth out in general inside. I can appreciate that. But I, I like the people facing the challenges. You know, they say they want to be in nature. Well, get outside and in nature, and then when you're when you're in the middle of uh, some mindfulness uh, or something similar, along come a bunch of midges, bye, 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 and that's all part of it. So, uh, your feeling about uh, the importance of indoor labyrinths—that's that's something I'd love to hear. Well, um, I do have to mention that the um, yes, our our temperature here in Minnesota makes my many labyrinths outdoors unavailable. But if you do go to my Facebook page, you'll see my full chart labyrinth that I stomped into the snow this last week. So there's a lovely picture there. We do get outside even in the winter weather. But now with the COVID um, pandemic that we've had this year, I uh, my canvas labyrinth work, which I thought would pretty much shut down because of this social distancing and, and the uh, necessity to stay away. It has actually blossomed. Um, and because we I've been getting many uh, requests for canvas labyrinths from hospitals um, for the first responders, the nurses, the doctors to use the labyrinth um, as a respite area, a place to slow down and to refocus and to do a little self-care. So it's been wonderful to be able to participate and to support um, the community through my work in, with the portable labyrinths as well. So using a portable labyrinth um, when you don't have an outdoor labyrinth is um, just another way to engage with the labyrinth pattern and to have an opportunity. I mean, these labyrinths are can be as big as 36, 40 feet um, in, in diameter. So they fill a large space. And so you can use the labyrinth um, much like you would use an outdoor labyrinth. It's just that it's more two-dimensional 
and it, you can fold it up and put it away and bring it out um, and you can use it in different places. So people will have a portable labyrinth that they will carry around and do retreats at different locations um, that don't necessarily have a, a permanent labyrinth to use. So the use of the portables are very similar to the way you would use an outdoor labyrinth, but um, it's just creating a different space and you can create um, a lovely environment around a portable labyrinth with candles and lighting and and other types of scarves and and cloths and and things like that. So it's fun. I also you know lead retreats and do labyrinth uh, events. Um, so working with themes and working with colors and fabrics is uh, part of what I do um, because I come to the labyrinth as an artist and and it's the creativity part is wonderful for me. Oh, that's, uh, that's gorgeous. And the one thing, of course, for anybody listening to you, and I'm so glad that you're, it's a lot clearer than when we tried earlier, and that's beautiful. And we've got all those labyrinths uh, behind you, the beautiful display of the wall of labyrinths. That really makes it. So uh, thank you for that. That's absolutely wonderful. Now, the one thing I, I did mention uh, to Tony, I'd love to bring Tony back uh, and make this into a bit of a panel se session now. So let's Let's get uh, everybody lined up here. Let's see how yeah, it is. Uh, then I'm going to put myself at the bottom. Let's see if that works. Uh, come on, uh, let's see. I, I'm not it's a great uh, movie. Ah, there we go. I'm in the. So it's great to uh, have you all there. And uh, welcome again, Tony. We got Lisa. Thanks, yeah. We got the gang. And uh, I've got a couple of questions that uh, I'd like to put to you. And it's really repeating what I said earlier the intrusion of human calibrated geometry, which is how I see uh, labyrinths, putting this into the landscape, and even dare to call these structures sacred. Hmm. And my question to you, and I'll have you one at a time, is how can labyrinths function as part of the whole of nature? And uh, I think I'll get Tony onto this to start with. Uh, your answer on that, Tony. Yeah. In addition to what I said earlier, um, I have found that I do uh, work with energy and space clearing and healing land and houses and that. And, and I have found that when you place a labyrinth on the land, it actually eliminates the geopathic stress from the land. So, so it, it's, it, it, any place I put a labyrinth, it, the land is, is asking for the labyrinth and it's the labyrinth is working in conjunction with the, the energy of the land to just to improve the whole space and, and just make it a more um, amenable and attractive space. So I haven't come across any labyrinth really that I can think of where it's in conflict with the land. So, um, but I do always check beforehand and it, and it's, I think that's one of the best approaches to take, not just to impose what you think is right on, on, on where you, where you think you should be putting a labyrinth and just, listen and tune into the land because you'll get your you'll get your answer from the land whether it wants a labyrinth or not so. lovely answer and um, for those of you out there and even though i've gone over the hour which i expected we often do don't we uh fire any questions you've got here uh, for lisa and tony as well because i've just got the uh, oh i've got lisa to answer that one too uh, as far as uh, let's get her on, uh, up here so uh, over to you then lisa with the um the question there, labyrinths function as a part of the whole of nature. Uh, what's your vision on that one? 
I, I'm in total agreement with what Tony just said. When I do an outdoor labyrinth, um, I'm, I, I always do dowsing and listen to the space. And I have had um, a time when uh, where I thought the labyrinth should be uh, on my property. I really got an answer that no, it shouldn't be there. And I moved to a different location that it was drawn to. And that's where the labyrinth wanted to be. So. So you really do have to listen and know. Um, I have another uh, example on the property was the first labyrinth that I built um, was in a space where I couldn't get any grass to grow. Um, it was just all, all uh, earth that was there. And when I put the stones down and built the labyrinth, then your grass started to grow and it was just a lovely lush look. And so oh, really need to you know, the space. Ah, really fabulous. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's, uh, the second question is really in a way it's repeating what uh, towards what you've already spoke about, but I'm sure you've got more to offer on the idea as I tend to use the labyrinths um, as tools for inspiration motivating divinity connection motivating connection with whatever you feel guides you because i tend to have this belief that we believe in an unseen and we put a we turn it into an object with some people it's their christ heart some people it'll be their guardian angel their their uh, guardian guiding spirit uh their puka their uh animal uh vision uh totem or even the return of their invisible friend from childhood and to me that leads into storytelling uh and through that storytelling in your mind uh there's that whole mindfulness going with your vision and to me that's a lovely part of mental health therapy which has become amplified with this covid time so i'd love to hear your stories of your applications of labyrinth and how you may use it and guide people into a storytelling way of health therapy. And I'm going to bring you straight on uh, to this, Lisa, if I can get the tools to work. There we go. Yeah, uh, how do you work with this, Lisa? Well, there's so many ways that you can work with the labyrinth and uh, whether you're using an outdoor labyrinth or not and what the setting is. And so if, I use, um, if I'm called to do a retreat, for instance, for um, hospice workers, um, asking them to uh, engage with the labyrinth in a way that might be a problem-solving um, issue for them, if they've got something that they're working with, to step in the labyrinth and carry that with them to see what might, might resolve for them. And I've, I've always mentioned to people who are new to the labyrinth, um, not to expect an epiphany experience when you reach the center, because you, we, if it, that doesn't happen for you, you might miss the gift that it was really there, which may be just a simple calming and need calm. I wanted to mention too, as another way of, of using the labyrinth, five years ago, my husband, um, suffered a stroke and lost use of his left side of his body. And we use these um, finger labyrinths like this one here that I had and the ones on the wall 
um, for him to work with in his own therapies. So he started out following the, the path of the finger labyrinth by using his right hand to guide his left finger through the paths. And eventually he worked to the point where he could do it with just his uh, left finger. Um, and then moving to a double labyrinth where both using both hands on, on each uh, on its own labyrinth. So it's a way of retraining his brain to function in, in a correct way. So there's some physiological ways that the labyrinth can work for us if we, if we just allow it to do that. But we also have to remember that much of what happens with the labyrinth is not the labyrinth, but it's what we bring to it. Oh, oh, where have you gone? Oh, I'm here. Hello. <laughs> I, 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 suddenly the, the audio went a bit. That's, of course, I'm fascinated on the stroke story because of my own series of strokes. And I got hammered a year ago, but I feel grateful that it wasn't that severe. I can still walk around the labyrinths. And, but I can understand the, the healing with that. And to me, that adds another answer to the geometric side of it because again i suppose it may be a trusting but to have that geometric path to follow when you've had a stroke and your mental ability is it really puts you back on the path again so it's a lovely human invention however it's done and that's i'm glad you brought that up that not only for mental health therapy but in physiotherapy uh, where you can't exactly perhaps go cycling or lift weights or I do stuff like that. The labyrinth is brilliant for that. Anyway, I'm going to bring you on, uh, Tony, uh, for that. Uh, your vision on the storytelling and using visions as a part of mental health therapy. Uh, do speak more about that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm going to speak about what's coming into my head for some reason. So when well, that's the way. A number, a number of years ago, I was invited to the Netherlands to give a workshop there by a labyrinth person who said all the people there would be labyrinth people and they want you to go deep. And so I was slightly apprehensive, maybe. And the morning of the workshop, I decided I'd walk the labyrinth to see if there was any other insights that I, or to, that I needed to have or if I could get some guidance as to what to, else I might do during the labyrinth. And I started walking and I was gone two or three circuits and there was this song stuck in my head. And as you know, when a song gets stuck in your head, it's very hard to get out of it. And I was starting to get a little bit annoyed at the song. and says, look, I'm trying to get a message here. You know, would you, would you stop going around in my head? And a few more steps later, I paused and I just took a deep breath. And the song that was going around in my head was by Bob Marley. And it was, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. <laughs> so, so on, and when you're working with the labyrinth, you, the messages are coming to you if you're aware enough to see that. And, and I would repeat that to a lot of people. You, it's, it's your awareness that you need to tune into. So it may, be, it may be the midges that are bugging you or who's bugging you or what's bugging you. Or it may be, you know, the birds in this singing in the trees or they're, they're giving you a message if you're aware enough to see it. So, yeah. so, uh, so it's, it's really about um, pausing quietening yourself and just appreciating who you are and where you are because that's what the labyrinth does it brings you into yourself you know once you let it be if, if of course if you see that i've had people on walks and they just wanted to get to the center and rush to the center and rush back out and said well i didn't feel much there you know but it depends on what you bring to the labyrinth as well you know but you need to be open just 
approach it with an open mind and it'll it'll work wonders for you. Well, fabulous you did said that because that is a continuation of what we actually covered in the Sunday sessions last Sunday yeah. uh, with going with the flow, going with inspirations, that that messaging, the conjuring. I got a couple of questions here. Uh, Joanne Moran, uh, would uh, then a labyrinth meditative tool or visual placed in a home benefit the energetics and harmony? Uh, who'd like to go first on that one? Well, the answer, I'll fire away. Sorry, Liz. <laughs> the, <laughs> the answer is yes. I mean, I have one just inside my front door. You know, I have them all over the house, but inside the front door, I just find they're, they're quite a healing symbol, but they're a protective symbol as well. So they would have been placed, you know, sometimes in doorways and porches of cathedrals. And even in parts of India, they will paint different symbols on the threshold, including labyrinths, you know, so that the symbolic of you entering from the outside world into a, it's into a liminal space or into a different space. So because the labyrinth has a healing energy, it will help, yeah, to balance the energies of the house and it'll be more um, beneficial, yeah, certainly, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone who's holding on for this. We've got a couple of questions and, and we've got that lovely video. So uh, there's a lot of people holding on, so thank you. And uh, Lisa, on that one for you, that, uh, that question. Well, you know, I have lots of labyrinths in my home, so I like to feel that the energy of my space is full. But I, I've often noticed that you can get a benefit from the labyrinth even if you're not engaging in walking it, if you're just in the space of the labyrinth. And I think that that's true both outdoors and indoors. And so the labyrinth, whether it and why that is, um, is beyond my understanding, but it could be our way of being in that space of the, that labyrinth energy and the labyrinth mind that that balances who we are and what we're experiencing, and that could be filling the home with our own our own uh, energy. Great. Another question, Mary Dwyer, and I'll I'll, I'll put you onto this one, Lisa, to start. Uh, how would you know a place that you'd like to build a labyrinth is not suitable? How can you feel and listen? What response can you expect? How does it manifest yourself? Can you explain something on that one, Lisa? Well, because that was following out something you said. Yes, I I, I work with dowsing, um, and a, and a, to, as an intuitive dowser, part of being um, locating a labyrinth is really being in the space and listening to what is happening around you, the earth energy, and all. And not everybody um, is knows that they can be tuned to those kinds of things. So you have to be aware of that. And Tony mentioned it also as far as being in the area uh, where you intend to put the labyrinth, just being aware of everything around you and listening to that space. Um, how do you get the? How do you get the? that knowledge, um, it's really hard to explain. Um, I ask a question, you know, does the labyrinth be here? And I listen for what response I get. And if, if it doesn't feel right, um, I move to another location. But I can also use dowsing tools, um, the L rods, a pendulum, that sort of thing to, to douse and, and visually see what the answer might be. Ah, great. And uh, Tony, a uh, uh, quick response to you on that one. Yeah, I, I would endorse everything that Lisa said. I, I think also you can develop your own 
kind of intuitive abilities. You know, sometimes you just go into the space. You may just get a listen to your feelings. It's about being quiet in the space. You know, if you get a feeling, oh, I don't think so, or it it, it should be ex the feeling should be expanding. You should feel expanded and rather than contracted and and restricted. So, um, you know, different people have different abilities, but you can you can develop and enhance your own abilities. I think everybody has an ability to listen to the energies of a place. It may take a little bit of practice, but generally, sometimes even I'll get a shiver or, or a, a, feel, an, a feeling of elation or a feeling of love or a feeling of, no, I don't think this is going to work. So it's really, you know, tuning into yourself as much as possible. So that's you feel yeah. and, and listen as best you can. And, and it manifests different for different people, depending on, you know, if they're very sensitive or if they're visual or if they're, they can hear. So it, it, it depends really on who you are and, and, and getting to know, you know, how you get the messages best. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, both of you. Um, and thank you for extending into the overtime, which I always wish we could go on and on. Uh, it's lovely uh, having you both as guests and I hope uh, every success in what you do. And I hope we'll have an excuse to, do this again and even meet you in some way. So thank you again, uh, Tony and Lisa. That, that's been absolutely fabulous. And I just love the various variety of insights and it really has widened out the whole Labyrinth universe. So thank you so much, you two, for your offerings. Thanks so much and we'll see you again. Thanks. Uh, right, hold on now. We do have a, a lovely video coming up. And one thing I'll, I'll have to show you um, sorry for those who've asked questions. Uh, I, Lisa and Tony, if you can actually uh, go to the comments and answer the extra questions that's there, because there's been some lovely last-moment questions. And one thing I must uh, bring on a link to and uh, is the World Labyrinth Locator. There you go. Go to labyrinthlocator.com. Fabulous. For Obviously, we're a bit restricted from going to visit them now, but it's a lovely reference to have. Uh, is that locator for getting around? If you happen to be in different countries, you can go to the locator, and uh, there it is. Now, um, the other thing, as I usually bring up, uh, I'm going to be very quick on this. Uh, the actual uh, these sessions and the labyrinth gardens. This is how we get the loot. Uh, the Patreon uh, there. Uh, any of the subscribers, and I'm got. I'm not going to talking about the course, but. I'm still working hard on the course for you subscribers that goes into this in greater depth. But there is our, um, uh, that's our sort of, uh, what can I say, that for subscribers and how we get the loot to pay the uh, monthly subscriptions. Anyway, I'll leave that one alone because I've got to move on. I'm dying to get this lovely video on uh, to close you off. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, uh, all of you here, thank you for the subscribers. Have I missed any of your comments here? Uh, there's a lot of thank yous, which is uh, great. Um, thanks for that. And uh, there's a lot of comments to come. Now, coming up Sunday sessions, I better quickly give you a quick rundown on that. Uh, next week, we have one of the, because um, oh, it went on for hours, didn't it, when I did it? So it's split into five. It's the Iona Scribe story which is next week, and uh, this is where I first learned the OM. It was um, on Iona, Atty McKechnie, who'd been working on restoration since the 30s, 
And he got me going with the stories of the girls coming with the tree language and then the picks uh, coming with their cut-out language on stones and wood and how the two came together. So we'll be talking about that. And also how the early medieval scribes, what they made of that, how they made it linear. So going into a lot of that, that's the I am a scribe story. That's next uh, Sunday session, so after then. And then uh, the, after then, uh, we've got, oh, wrong one. Uh, 31st of January is the Bridget Tales and Traditions. I don't really have to explain that too much, but we'll go into a lot of those and get some guests on. And then the week after, 7th of February, we'll go more into the in-bulk traditions. There'll be a lot of water stuff on that, whereas this will have a bit of fire stuff, but this is the water. So this is coming to the point um, uh, that uh, thank you again for to... Uh, uh, Tony Christie, Lisa uh, Gillon Moriarty, uh, so lovely. And uh, I'm going to quickly move on to this uh, beautiful um, uh, video that Donna sent to us. Uh, I'd like to ask a lot of you will be watching this way after this show's over, tonight, tomorrow, sometime. If you're watching, still leave the comments. I do check in, do answer them. And this goes straight into archive. Please subscribe, click the bells on the YouTube and Facebook to be reminded of the details of the next Sunday sessions. So it leaves me before playing the video to enjoy wishing you a safe week full of wonder, lots of inspiration, enchantments. Enjoy labyrinths if you get a chance to use them. And uh, so uh, enjoy this closing video by Carol Eagleheart. So until next Sunday, play well. And from me, it's bye-bye. Thank you. Keep walking in the light. Keep following the path. Draw closer. Keep dreaming in the dark Remember who you are Draw closer to life
sashes. That's it, yeah. Thank you.